0: restaurant unstoppable episode 584 with
1: sam hellman mass like you don't want to get stuck in a certain point you want to progress and the key to that is teaching and improving the skills of the people on the team are you ready for it factors
0: success stories failures, and bombs of restaurant industry knowledge. Then, join Eric Cacciatore and today's incredible guest as they share what it takes to become unstoppable. Everybody loves payday, am I right? but loving your payroll provider, that's a different story. It's a little weird. Still, small businesses across the country love running payroll with Gusto. Gusto automatically files and pays your taxes. It's super easy to use, and you can add benefits and HR support to help take care of your team and keep your business safe. It's loyal, it's modern, and who knows, you might even fall in love. To learn more, head over to gusto.com slash unstoppable. And when you run your first payroll, you'll get your first three months free. Again, that's gusto.com slash unstoppable. I'm sure you've heard of Revel, but have you heard of the Revel Advantage? It is the payment processing solution that seamlessly integrates into your Revel point of sale and platform to create a complete system tailored to your business needs. Rebel manages both your POS and your payments with integrated software, hardware, and credit card processing to save you time and money so you can focus on your business. Learn more at rebelsystems.com slash unstoppable. Here is a statistic for you. bento.com slash unstoppable and save up to $1,500 on initial setup for your new restaurant website. Get on it. And with excitement, allow me to introduce to you today's guest, Salmon Hellman, Mass. My man, Sam, are you feeling unstoppable today?
1: This morning I'm feeling unstoppable. Having fun <laughs> hanging out
0: with you on East Sixth Street. Yes, that is what we like to hear. So hailing from Boston, Massachusetts, and a graduate from Boston University Questrom School of Business, Sam Hellman Mass has previously worked at the Montagna restaurant at the Little Nell Hotel in Aspen, where he met Bryce Gilmore, and later moved to Austin and helped him open Barley Swine and Odd Duck. Under Hellman Mass's leadership, the Odd Duck received much acclaim, and with his success in his or with this success in his back pocket. In 2017, Helman Mass broke off on his own to open Sorte, a Mexican restaurant specializing in house-made masa. Just this past year, Sorte was one of 50 nominees for Bon Appetit's Best New Restaurant Man. This introduction doesn't really do you justice. You guys have accomplished so much, and I cannot wait to dive into your story, your successes, your failures, if there are any, and uh, really just hope to walk away from this conversation better. I know we will, but let's get that motivational, inspirational, ball
1: rolling with a success quote or mantra. What do you got for us? I think uh, if you do what you love and what you're passionate about, um, it'll always end up uh, finding the most success uh following or chasing uh your passion how do you have the discipline
0: to follow your pass- passion and not break off and maybe make a decision for like a short-term game
1: that's a good question i don't i don't know <laughs> right it, out the the how would of you follow questions. your how would you follow your passion i think just being honest with yourself about what you enjoy as opposed to uh Doing something because you think it'll bring you money or recognition or whatever. I think all of those things are just a byproduct of sticking with what you really enjoy the most, you know? Yeah. Mentioning that I, I went to school for uh, business and study finance, like there was not a lot of kids that after that decided they wanted to cook. Um, and I did that because I really found out through summer jobs um, and stuff that I really liked to. To cook more than I like anything else, so I decided to throw myself at that, um, and I worked really hard at it because I enjoyed it.
0: Yeah, and you know, it's it's something that's definitely common among many of the people that I interview is that they get into this work because of the work, their love for the work, and their passion for the work. And if you are chasing the money, you will burn out because you will never make enough money to justify the 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 work you have to do just to be successful in this industry. Like if you don't love it. If it not like, if it's not what like what wakes you up in the morning, then you will not last long. Any
1: comments on that? I believe that to be true. <laughs> um, I think it's easier to work hard if you enjoy something, mm-hmm. and the harder you work at something, the better you get at it. And so, if you're having fun in the kitchen cooking, or your passion maybe in the front of the house with wine service, or or anything like that, if you really really uh, love it, then you'll work harder at it than. To the next person. And usually that leads to good things. Awesome.
0: So you mentioned
1: that you, know, you did study uh, business and finance, uh, and then you
0: started cooking after that. Yeah. Were you ever cooking before that? Did you work in restaurants before school yes. or during school? Or? Yeah,
1: yeah. So I grew up in uh, Newton, which is just outside of Boston, and uh, was kind of, I guess, lucky. My high school had a pretty good culinary arts program. They had really good, actually, just technical vocational programs for like graphic arts, auto repair, and uh, cooking. And uh, in high school... You know, I was an okay student, not a great student at all, and I almost made it like my rebellious goal to not try and things I didn't <laughs> like to do, right? Like I said, I didn't like uh, reading or English class. Now I love to read, but in high school I was kind of, I'm not going to try at this because I don't like it. And I signed up for the culinary arts program, and I was like, this is for me. This is what I like to do. And so I, I entered that program as what's called a, a major student. So I cooked uh, three hours a day. Uh, Newton North High School had a small Uh, cafeteria that was run by the students in the program and the teachers for the teachers and and staff in the school. And so I had a chance to do that in high school. Uh, I worked at the ground round. I don't know if you remember that from the Boston area. It was like a a hamburger uh, 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 chain restaurant in the Boston area.
0: definitely sounds familiar. (laughs)
1: Yeah. So I worked worked at a few restaurant jobs. There was a, a diner in Newton Center that I uh, was actually went on vacation and asked not to come back. I think that was my first job. I was a host, and I came back, and they were like, "We don't, we don't need you anymore, <laughs> sir." Um, so I had a couple jobs, and then I started really uh, cooking. I guess uh, in the summers in high school and in the in the summers in uh, in college. Cool.
0: So at uh, w- what point did you really kind of uh, fall in love with it? Where you, you said to yourself, when
1: you you said to yourself, "I might come back to this." Did, did that happen yet? Or I think I was like probably fourteen or fifteen, and I just. I really loved cooking. I would come home from school. There used to be a great sh- uh, show on the Discovery Channel called Great Chefs of the World. Mm. I don't know if you ever saw this show. It was uh, every episode was a 30-minute episode that profiled like uh, a, f- uh, a chef at a hotel or resort property, and they cooked their signature dish. Uh, a lot of times uh, it was like someone who didn't speak English as a FERC language, so it would be uh, subtitles, uh, but it would like walk you through this one. The whole 30-minute episode was about this one iconic dish from a hotel property, and uh, I loved that show. I loved helping my mom cook, uh, and, and I just kind of, I guess from an early age, thought like I want to do restaurants. My goal one day is to open uh, my own restaurant.
0: Yeah, I'm pretty sure that show has been mentioned on the on the show. I've never seen it, but it's been mentioned on the show in the past. Really? It's really influenced a lot of people. Really? Uh, yeah. <laughs> I need to watch it. It uh, was a great show. I it, wish it was I wish know. it
1: would come back. I should help him find out <laughs> who produced it and tell them like you have to do it again. Right. Uh well, I definitely have to check that out. So
0: um so you went to school for business. Did you want to continue studying uh food and beverage or uh, did you ever think think about going to culinary school or why didn't you go to culinary school?
1: That's a good question. So uh I, my thinking, my goal was to open my own restaurant one day. Okay. Um, so you knew
0: that you wanted to open a restaurant yeah, even before you went to college. Probably I was like okay. 15
1: or 16. And cool. I was like working towards that goal. Uh, my dad is, a, a, was a professor at UMass Lowell, um, the professor of economics. And uh, being a person of, of education, I think he really encouraged me uh, to go uh, to pursue a four-year education and then decide if I wanted to pursue culinary school after that. Um, and so I think, you know, that was, that was his advice was like, Hey, if you love cooking, uh, and you had the opportunity to go to college, like go for it. And then if you still want to, want to cook after that, you'll have, uh, more options or, or, a, or a different kind of a background to draw from. You know, I think for a lot of people, culinary school is definitely a great thing for some people. It's not the right, like anything. Right. Uh, and for me, I, I liked business school a lot because i felt like for the first time like the education that i was pursuing was uh, a direct choice of like when you're in high school you have to go to school yeah or like for the most part your parents like will be pretty upset with you if you do not like go to school yeah in high school or sorry in uh, in university it was like i'm here and it's quite expensive and i might if I, i'm gonna make the most out of it because mm-hmm. no one's making me do this and it was furthering the goal of one day uh opening my own business so i figured i'd learn about uh, finance and a bit how money and investments work in in school and work in the industry in the summers, and my thought was that I could combine those those things one day to uh, to open a restaurant
0: yeah you know it 's interesting, and um, I agree with you sometimes for some people like culinary school has done great things for them. But I'm really curious, knowing what you know now, do you think that culinary school is the right path for most people? Do you think that maybe the employer should take more of the responsibility on educating and training uh, in making future hospitalitarians?
1: <laughs> I think for some people, it's, it's definitely a great thing. It gives you a wide background and a great uh, base of knowledge. And there's certainly some really great culinary schools out there. I think one thing I really appreciate about the industry as well is that There's nothing you can't learn by showing up early and asking lots of questions, Mm -hmm. right? Like, uh, you mentioned that I worked in Aspen, Colorado. I mean, that hotel was such a a great environment. Having not gone to culinary school, and most of my experience in the restaurant industry is in the back of the house as a chef, like, that was my culinary school. You know, I flew myself up there. I graduated college and uh, took a job in the south end of Boston working at a place called Stella. I was a front-of-the-house manager. And uh, I liked it okay, but I really wanted to get in the kitchen as opposed to the front of the house. And I had a a roommate in college that was going to Aspen to be a ski bum, just go have fun. And I grew up in Boston, went to college in Boston, and I figured like, I want to go off and see something else, have an adventure and really throw myself at cooking. So I got on an airplane, went to Aspen, worked for free. Uh, That's common for a job interview in the industry, you know, Mm -hmm. at the Little Nell Hotel And uh, it's a pretty transient place where you know a lot of people are there for lifestyle or skiing. It's hard to find employees that are truly there, like for the craft of cooking, in a place like Aspen, you know. And so uh, the guy who was the executive sous chef, Steve Redzikowski, became a a huge mentor, and he hired me because I I didn't have much skills. I had a little bit of, I had some experience. I don't want to say I had none, but hired me because I, you know, I showed that I really wanted to be there and wanted Mm. to wanted to try hard and. Uh, I just I came in early and uh, stayed late and made that my culinary school. Like for instance, yes, just saying, hey, Steve, I want to learn about butchery. Can I come in on my day off when y'all are breaking down the whole pigs and doing charcuterie and help? You know, at my cost. And it's like, yeah, of course you can come help and work for free, but you get a lot out of that when you spend your time doing it, right? Because yep. it just it it I think jumpstarts that process of being trusted to take on. Tasks and once you get trusted, that's when you really start uh, learning how to take on projects and and do different things, you know?
0: Yeah, I think well one key thing that I want to pull from your story is that I think you went to Aspen with the intention to work for free. Like you kind of knew in the back of your mind, did you know in the back of your mind that you might have to work for free at first?
1: I wanted to get a job at the place that I wanted to learn. And I knew like I I had a paying job. They paid me for the hours that I worked on the clock, but For me, that was just the beginning of the opportunity to make the most out of it, right? If I was on the schedule at 3 p.m., the line cooks worked from 3 for the dinner shift. I would come in most days at noon because the 3 hours before was like, what project can I see today? Whether it's like helping pastry and learning something about pastry or helping the butcher um, or working on a special. Um, I I mean, I was lucky that I kind of stumbled into... Uh, working around some really good cooks that later became friends and uh, and and coworkers uh, and also like Steve as a mentor uh, was just um, uh, he really helped foster all the like I was putting all the passion into it and he matched he matched the passion I was putting into it with the opportunity for me to make myself better right like I could go to him and say steve like i 've never cooked pheasant before is that something we could do and he 'd be like yeah I think I can order some pheasant and we'll try it <laughs> yes. out and like I would come in early on my own time, but like he facilitated all of those projects. I guess what i was what I was working up to like
0: you were I mean, you went there, you needed a job, but I think going into a situation, doing whatever it takes to get on the team at the place that you want to go to work to learn, and then once you're there, once you, I don't know if you staged at first, was it a hire right away, or did they make you stage? Did you have to pass a test? Like, uh, you know, the stage test, like, will you get along with us, or were you just hired right? No, I pickup? staged
1: the whole day, at the end of the day, went into the office, chatted with Steve, and he said, like, I think we can... We can offer you a position starting at lunch.
0: Yeah, I think the point I'm trying to make is you got to give something to get something. you got to show people that you're willing to do whatever it takes to be a part of that team. And then once you get the job, you got to be willing to show people that you want to learn. And people aren't going like to take the initiative. You've got to take that initiative. You've got to be the thing that pushes the domino, the first domino to get the chain of a uh, reaction going thereafter. Right. And then once you show your initiative, once you show your interest and your willingness to learn, that's when people will see that in you and take it to the next level and make the most of your time there. uh, And, you can literally, I don't think you should go to culinary school, me personally. like I think that if you want to get into this industry, go find the best, do whatever it takes to get on that team, and be, and be curious, be inquisitive, ask questions, take on a responsibility, and watch how fast your career takes off. Sorry,
1: that was a rant. I usually try not to talk this much <laughs> in the interviews, but uh, I just wanted to make that example because that's exactly what you did, right? Yeah, for sure. I just threw myself at it. Um, and uh, yeah, I was very fortunate to work around some, some great mentors and find... Uh, folks like Steve and working next to Bryce and Mark, like other line cooks that were better than me. I think that's where you want to end up in a situation where yes. you're working around people that are better than you.
0: Yeah. No, I've, I've had people write to me saying, hey, like I worked in a restaurant. And I'm doing really good. And I want to open a restaurant one day. I'm like, okay. Like, they're like, where do I start? I'm like, go work for another restaurant. Like, go surround yourself <laughs> with the best. Don't be the best at the restaurant. Be try right. to be the worst. And then those people will lift you up. And if you're the best person in every kitchen, then you're doing something wrong. Especially
1: right? if you're a young cook. Exactly. I mean if you're eighteen or nineteen or twenty or twenty-five or twenty-eight or wherever you are, like you you should be. I think working in some way that challenges you. Yeah. So you kind of alluded to Steve being a huge mentor
0: to yeah. you. Um, what was it about Steve? Talk, talk to us about how he was, how he mentored you and how he impacted and transformed you.
1: Steve, he now owns uh, three restaurants in uh, Boulder and Denver. Um, at the time he was the executive sous chef of the, of the hotel. Ryan Hardy was the executive chef. Also a uh, great, great chef and, uh, and a mentor, but Steve I work so closely with. I mean, His technical skills, like his ability to cook, was outstanding. And everybody in the kitchen recognized that, like, Steve could play, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, And then combined with that, he was a great teacher um, and a great leader, a humble guy, super hardworking. And, uh, like, you combine the talent and he had a passion for teaching. I guess that's kind of what. That was my next question. Like, like, what made him a
0: great teacher? Was it because he was passionate about it?
1: like it's been a while i haven't thought about it in in a while but the, the memory is coming back like i annoyed the shit out of steve i was always <laughs> like hey, steve steve uh how do you make the best bordelaise sauce like i've always been obsessed with like pursuing the best since i was a kid and like i probably someone else probably would have told me to go away but he always kind of matched it with a good attitude of like getting in there and being passionate about finding like what makes the borderlays sauce the best. Is it like, what kind of meat do you want to use? Do you want to Brown the meat? Do you, what kind of bones do you want to use? Like, uh, what are you doing with the mirepoix What kind of wine are you using? How much wine are you using? How much do you reduce it? Like all the nuance of the conversation. Like we had those passionate discussions about like, th- that's one example, but was a- everything. Was this your curiosity or his curiosity? Once you'd say, I want to do this. I think a lot of it came from, from me, but like I said, I was, I was pretty annoying. <laughs> like, to, to to always kind of, like, go up to him, ask him questions about his time, about, like, whatever it is that we were doing. Like, hey, like, why are we using carnaroli rice instead of Arborio rice? What's the difference? What, like, what, what happens? Why do you want to, like, move it around when you're uh, toasting it in the oil so much to work the starch out? Why does that make a difference? And, like, he would carry on all these conversations. And, uh, you know, sometimes they say, you know, you get the saying, like, you learn, you remember... Uh, 10% of what you hear, 30% of what you read, and like 90% of what you teach. Uh, so maybe for him, it, it it offered something too. So I wasn't the only one that was getting something out of it. For him to have like a young and very ambitious and curious person on the team, I th- I'd like to think that it wasn't just a pain in his ass that he actually uh, enjoyed it a little bit too. But he really just made it fun. And mm-hmm. we made delicious things and it was very exciting for me to like take on projects with him
0: so the the, the question was was what makes a great teacher and I think pulling from your story uh, being willing being patient in in knowing that uh, it 's not about necessarily you, but it's about this person and their education and, uh, knowing that by teaching them, it will make you better too. And that it isn't just a one-sided thing like it's reinforcing what you've already learned. So having that mentality of being willing, being patient and, and knowing that by teaching, it's making you better. And then
1: having fun is the last part, right? That. And like, if you're leading a team in the kitchen, the more you can improve your cooks, it frees you up to not just be babysitting. Everybody frees up your time. So like we see that a lot now and I always talk with Fermin, who's the chef of Suerte, is that the more we can teach and improve all the cooks on the team, the more we can have fun with the food and the more it can free up our time to see things, uh, see the whole picture as opposed to, uh, uh, I don't know. Like, you don't want to get stuck in a certain point. You want to progress. And the key to that is teaching and improving the skills of the people on the team. Mm, I
0: love it, man. I'm really loving this conversation. What about leadership? You said he was a great leader. What made him a great leader?
1: Steve had an uncompromising standard. He would never um, bend what he knew was right and was very focused on achieving that standard in service. But he did so balancing a seriousness and a friendship uh, with everybody as an individual. I mean, I think he may be did it maybe just subconsciously. But now the more I've managed people, it's like the better the relationship, the better your ability to manage someone, right? The stronger yes. your connection with someone. And uh, Steve was really good at that part of it. Like to have a a connection with all the people working on the team um, and uh, treating everybody individually to figure out like how to motivate and connect and, uh, teach that individual.
0: So I want to dive in a little bit deeper here. Two things I pull from what made him a good leader. The first thing is discipline, right? Having standards and then having the discipline to meet the standards and set the set the tone, right? Because if you set those standards and you fall short of those standards, then that's, that's the new standard. That's what other people are paying attention to. Uh, then the other part of that is relationships and bouncing relationships. And I think this is where I really want to pull back the layers a couple more times because there is that that line that you've, you know, you gotta try to find that line where you are the friend. You do care. There is a solid relation there, relationship there that goes beyond a paycheck. Um, but also not so far that, uh, you lose some of that respect. Uh, I don't know if that's the the right way to say it, but how do you find that line? Like what, what do you think it takes to find that balance between boss and friend?
1: You got to give the opportunity to get to know someone as an individual. Like to let to let them show themselves a little bit, and then I don't know, step back and, and and like that's something we always talk about all the time. We talk about the individuals on the team is like, how's this person doing, or how's that person doing? Like, how did that conversation go with them? Uh, and I always feel like that's an important uh, use of my time or the management's time is to is to step back and think about uh, how the individuals on the team are. Are doing like I don't think there's a one size fits all answer to that. Um, I think what I'm picking up from you is that you can have a relationship
0: that goes be you know that, that starts with just caring uh, yeah. and being there and asking about and being invested in that. It's okay to challenge
1: that. somebody too. Like it doesn't always have to be fun and games. But I think most people respond better when it comes from. A place of caring, like uh, you know, at some level, before you care about them as a cook or an employee or whatever, you just want them to do. You want them to have a good life. If you come from that place, I think most people appreciate that. I also think sometimes, you know, younger managers, when you first step up into a management role, um, sometimes you can make really intense interactions over small things. And I generally find that you get the best results managing people if you can simply articulate what you want someone to do in words that that seems to and it's very simple, but that seems to work the best. Right? Rather than like telling someone how you didn't like their behavior and how it made you feel and like all that can be a tough way to like lead into like what you actually want them to do if you just say like, hey, when you sear the duck breast, I need you to make sure you pay attention to the color and like look for if it's turning brown around the edges and that's when you want to add the butter and start pasting it or whatever. If you can clearly tell someone what you want them to do or whatever it is, then reinforcing that over time tends to work more than like the the angry approach, right?
0: Yeah. So I think the takeaway there first, uh, there's other ways to develop rapport with your employees besides going out and getting smashed with them, right? And being there shoulder to shoulder, parting after hours. Uh, You can show rapport by caring for them when they're there in your, your business, right. And, and making it about them and showing that you exist to serve them. And then the other part of that is good communication. Uh, if you can communicate with them, communicate well with them and paint that picture of perfection. So they feel like they're, they are doing what you're asking them to do because you painted that clear picture of this is the aiming point when you, and when you, you know, when by, by having that good commu- that good communication, I feel like you can, um, I don't know. Um,
1: yeah, it, it it's okay to go out and have a beer with everybody and show the people that you're managing that you're human. Right? Yeah. Like that's yeah. kind of the part that that serves is like if you can uh, let your guard down for a second and just let people see that like you're a person just like they are, that can that can be a positive step towards building their relationship yep. and then you know, you want to make sure that you uh, don't let that uh casualness go too far so that when you need to be serious back at work or in the kitchen or the restaurant uh, that they know you mean business in that environment. But that if they make a mistake, it's not like you can't have a beer with them one day because they screwed up because everybody, it happens sometimes, right? We try not to have it happen. We try to fix them when they happen, but nobody's perfect
0: you. yeah yeah so this is also where you met your future or you're not met or did you meet Bryce here or did you yeah Bryce before? and Mark yes
1: so you met both of them yeah we were all line cooks together okay. uh, in Aspen
0: so t- take me through that initial relationship with them how that uh relationship evolved over time
1: yeah we were all uh line cooks so Bryce was already working there when I moved to Aspen and everybody in the kitchen from the beginning said just like hey this guy's super good he's a really really good cook talking about you no, Bryce. Okay. I was not. I learned a lot from him. And uh, when, when I first started, uh, he was working, I think, the saute and grill stations. And I started, on the, I started on lunch and then eventually got moved to dinner and started on the, the pasta station and was able to, to work all the different stations. But yeah, so we were just line cooks together. Uh, and then Mark moved to Aspen. And um, yeah, we just had a really fun time cooking on the, on the line, right?
0: So what was it about these guys working beside them that made you respect and admire and eventually become business partners with them?
1: Just totally excellent cooks. Like, I don't know. There's always kind of a, a luck factor in that. That, like, I don't know. I think I got lucky to work there at a time when, like, those other guys happened to be there. I'm trying to think what about them was, I mean, I don't know how to use another word besides just like Bryce was a very talented cook and so was Mark. What about uh, not
0: necessarily their ability, but who they were?
1: Just very motivated and professional about, like, that's what there was no question amongst Bryce and Mark that they were chefs. Like that's what they did and we're pursuing. Right.
0: Mm-hmm. What, what was it about them that you admired aside from their ability and their, edit, their their, their, determinism to be cooks, uh, that you thought this would be a good decision to partner with them in a business.
1: I think it, for, uh, Bryce was just a really creative and unique, uh, uniquely kind of talented perspective towards like what his food was. I think he always had a, you know, a lot of people don't quite understand, like, as much as what is their style, is he had the talent, but also I think the lens for, like, this is my style of cooking. And Mark is just one of the most well rounded, uh, if not the most well rounded chef I've ever worked with, right? Like, he can, he can bake, he can do pastry, he can butcher whole animals, he can line cook, he can do the, like, he can do everything. And that's a rare combination of skills to find, right? You find a, a savory chef that can also, like, lam- do laminated croissant dough on the level of a super good pastry chef and, uh, you know, break down all the whole animals and fish and, like, he's just super... He's the... Um, Utility guy. A
0: little bit yeah, of everything. but, like,
1: just so knowledgeable and well-rounded, yeah. Yeah. And then
0: Bryce, I think what really stood out about his variables was the fact that he had clarity on who he was and what his style was. And that, I think that is really important to, to have that clarity on what you are because it makes going into the, the future when you are developing your first restaurant. So you, you have that clarity, you, you know what you're going for and that's yeah. super important.
1: I learned a ton, uh, you know, after I moved to Austin and helped Bryce uh, open barley swine as a sous chef, um, you know, it's his, his restaurant, he was the chef and I was his sous chef. And when we opened, I, Put a little bit of money in so became a small investor in the project, uh, but just learned a ton, you know, working right next to him day in, day out. That was definitely probably uh, the, you know, we were open at the time six days a week. And when we first opened, we had like there was only three of us, we had no prep cooks. And it was yeah. like that kind of uh, a time when you're scrappy and doing it on a low budget and when you, are there all the time and have to figure it out. Like that was a great learning experience.
0: Before we dive into that, that uh, experience of what it was like opening your first place and owning your first place. uh, What do you think that they saw in you where they said, Hey, Sam, you should come back to Austin with us. What, how did you create this opportunity for yourself?
1: So I moved to Chicago um, after Aspen and uh, cooked a little bit at a restaurant called Spiaggia and uh, wanted to, uh, I wanted to step away and do something else. And Stayed in touch with Bryce, and he had the trailer, the Odd Duck trailer, which got a lot of recognition out of a trailer and was so opening th- this a small point, restaurant. So at this point, he had already left Aspen yeah, and went back. Yeah, he like opened a trailer after called after Odd Duck. After leaving Aspen. That's right. Gotcha, gotcha. Keep and on. Uh, I just felt like, hey, if I want to open the restaurant, a restaurant one day, here's an opportunity to do it with someone else and learn what it takes to open a restaurant. And I'll find out if I really want to do this. And, and that's I'll see a if huge it works. lesson right there. Uh,
0: don't if you have never opened a restaurant on someone else's dollar before opening a restaurant. I mean, you invested, right? Right. Um, but you I, did you know you were going to invest when you made the decision to go? Or that come not later? exactly. No. So the point being is like. If you know of good people opening a restaurant, go join that team. Be a part of that team. Be a part of that opening. Yeah. You will learn so many things during that experience. It's not enough just to work for restaurants. You got to work for people who are opening restaurants and be a part of that process if you want to go out and do your own. For thing. sure. Huge lesson. We opened
1: that, that whole that whole restaurant we opened with 160 grand. Yeah. That was cash in the bank, all the equipment, wow. the construction bill. That's low. It's well, not a lot. I we opened it with no that. walk-in. We had just like a <laughs> reach-in freezer. That's a Sorry, teaser. reach-in fridge.
0: Let's leave, let's leave this as a teaser because we got to take a quick break to thank our sponsors. And we'll be right back to talk about opening your first restaurant. It's the entrepreneurial myth, and I'm sure you're familiar with it. It's the idea that when you open your own restaurant, life is going to get easy because you get to do exactly what it is that you love, whether that's front of house or back of house. And then reality kicks in, right? You've got to do all this other stuff that comes with owning a business like taxes, HR, payroll, really boring stuff. That's where Gusto comes in. Gusto makes payroll taxes, HR actually easy for small business. And if you want to add on 401k or health benefits, it's a breeze. Those old school clunky payroll providers just were not built for the modern small business. Not to mention you've got to compete with the big guys. But how do you compete with the big guys when you don't have big guy bucks? Well, with Gusto, that's how. Get back to doing what it is you love and let Gusto handle the rest. And because you are Restaurant Unstoppable listeners, you'll get your first three months free when you run your first payroll. That's Gusto.com slash unstoppable. Again, Gusto.com slash unstoppable. All right, we're back. And you just started getting into telling us how you opened the first two restaurants with only 106. The the, first one, Barley's Wine, was a 35-seat restaurant. So uh, get into the dynamic of, of... what it was like uh, with never opening a restaurant before joining the team and how you guys pulled that off
1: yeah, I mean it was just a great learning experience to see how uh, you know Bryce had uh, opened some restaurants, his dad is in the restaurant industry, so he had had the opportunity at a younger age to open Allen, some, right? yeah to open some restaurants with his dad, so he kind of knew he knew what he was doing a good bit, and it was you know just the the process from you know coming up with architectural plans, permitting to the city, getting approval. On the plans and then doing construction and the timeline for as construction gets completed, at what point you have to order plates, forks, getting that stuff in, getting when you hire staff, right? Just doing it and, and understanding the the process to, uh, to open is it's one thing to see it on a timeline on a piece of paper and it's another to like... Be there, right? yeah.
0: That's another. I didn't even think about, about that variable. I knew that Bryce's dad, uh, Jack Gilmore, who's behind Jack Allen's, yeah. And they have what five or six locations. Yeah, they Austin? got
1: three or four Jack Allens, and they also do uh, Salt Traders. So they yeah. have a couple of those two. Yeah. So
0: that's a that's a well seasoned, uh, veteran restaurant tour right there that you guys have in your corner as a mentor, as a coach, or was was Bryce trying to maybe create a little bit of a distance there because he didn't want to know Bryce
1: definitely wanted to do his own thing but I think his dad was a good sounding board and certainly had some great experience and knows how it's done right I mean
0: that's another I mean I think that's another thing to take in did you know this like when you were going to partner that you that Bryce had a you know his dad uh, an experienced restaurateur that could you guys could go to as a mentor for advice and guidance during the process
1: yeah for sure and also I you know when I decided to move down here I came down for a day and hung out with Bryce a little bit and we ate at a couple places in town. I just felt like Bryce is a damn good cook and (laughs) that we could do some good food. So you guys bootstrapped $160,000 to open the first restaurant. Uh, how'd you pull that off? It was like eight years ago. So I guess construction was a lot less expensive, but also, I mean, it was just such a small place and we just made it happen with what we had, you know, like it was, uh, yeah, the, the build out, the equipment, like, I don't know. I think Bryce just he bootstrapped it, and I was I was there to uh, to help in any way that I could. You know.
0: So the barley swine came first, right? Yeah. And that was 2010. Yeah. Um, I. But you had he had the food truck, the odd dog. He was
1: still running the food truck, When okay. he stepped away to do focus on barley swine. I worked with his brother to keep the food truck going. Gotcha. gotcha. And then the food truck had to close because the lot that the food truck was on was purchased for uh, a redevelopment. Okay. And that site ended up being the site where we reopened Odd Duck on the site that the trailer originally was.
0: Okay, interesting. Okay, that yeah. all makes sense. So uh, what were some of the challenges in 2010 when you guys were uh, building this out, building this, this, this vision out?
1: I mean, we just opened with... There was a guy named John, Bryce, and me. We were the only three cooks when we opened. We didn't have any prep cooks or anything. So when we first opened, like we would get there at like... Eight nine in the morning, and uh, when we first opened, we were open till midnight. Jesus! And we would open till midnight and cook and get to bed super late and do that six days a week. And but you get a lot out of it when you work that hard for it. You what know? do you get like, out of it? We there were no prep cooks. We did everything. We made the desserts. We butchered the animals. We did the prep, and then we plated and served the food for service. So. You just improve your skills, and also the the skill of stamina of being able to push is is something I think you acquire the harder you work. You know, you think your limits here, but if you push that, uh, you can find out your your limit of what you can, uh, what you how hard you can work, or how many different things you can manage, or what you can, how many balls you can keep in the air might be more than you think. So you get the experience,
0: you get the new reference points as far as what you can actually handle. You maybe might surprise yourself. And the other variable that you didn't mention, which I think is worth mentioning, is respect. When you're on the ground, when you're on the floor, and you're putting those hours in, and you're, and you're leading, you know, you're at the, the the leading edge of what's happening, it's much easier to get people to come in behind you. And when you're when you're not saying, do this, but this is, follow yeah. me as I we do I think another this. word
1: for that would be credibility. Yeah. I mean, like, when we wanted to... Open Odd Duck. At that point, Bryce had already done two things that were successful. So, and I was a part of one of them. So for him and our team, people believed that what we would do next would be successful. That would willing to invest in what we were doing. Uh, and later, for me opening Suerte too, it was like I'd been a part of several notable restaurants in Austin and a hardworking, important piece of the team. And so people had confidence that uh, that I was capable of creating something else that was good, right?
0: Yeah. You, you know, you're bringing it up. I think we're kind of getting ahead of ourselves, but it's worth it because you're making a great point right now. And that is that when people go to open restaurants, they think, I need assets. I need money to open this restaurant. I need to go to the banks to get the money. But there are so many other types of assets that we just overlook, like your experience, like your network, like your reputation. I mean, these are all assets that you can then put on the table when you go to the bank to say, hey, look what I got. This is what this is why you should give me the money. And that that's leveraging power. And people just want to go straight straight to the bank with no experience with no alignment of other brands of of that reputation.
1: That's absolutely true. I mean <laughs> Banks <laughs> Banks make, you know, right now, five and a half percent on a loan. So they're they don't wanna lose their money. They're not gonna make ten times their money by making a loan to you. And restaurants are notoriously you know, tricky investments for banks. So the track record is really important for a bank getting comfortable to support a project. And usually a bank would never fund 100% of a restaurant. They always want you to have either some of your own skin in the game, or if you don't have money that you've been able to raise some funds from other investors alongside the bank. And the first thing those investors are going to look at is like, I don't know, what do you want to do? And who, who who, who are you? Right are you capable of doing something good, yeah, some restaurant that's going to work
0: so um it was worth going into that because I think it was absolutely uh something that we can take away from this this conversation, but going back to when you guys were opening the barley swine, one thing I haven't quite pulled from you um is the dynamic of the partnership of the lanes that you guys all fell into Because yeah. it was how many
1: partners were there five partners five partners hope, yeah.
0: so you bryce um Brian was
1: it mark, who was mark. the other uh chef that was kind of working there day-to-day with me in the beginning of Odd Duck. And uh, uh, now Mark is the chef and, and owner of Sour Duck, along with the same partners. A guy named Jason James, who is the front of the house. And then uh, Dylan Gilmore, who is uh, Bryce's brother and uh, just super talented guy, can cook. He did all the bookkeeping uh, and accounting, uh, but he also ran the Odd Duck trailer for a couple of years and got pretty damn good at cooking um, and uh, can do pretty much anything he puts his mind to. So he was just a super uh, capable member of the team, too, that uh, initially focused on the bookkeeping, but can do everything. So
0: the more I interview incredible people like yourself, the more I realize you cannot do this by yourself. Uh, to be competitive in today's market, uh, to attract onto yourself the right people, I've noticed that a lot of the best are offering equity in the business, partnership. And the Notoriously, you hear it all the time, you know, don't have, find partners, don't go into fr- business with friends. Like, all the things that you did are the things a lot of us here say not to do. Going to business with friends, uh, you know, splitting, like, be careful with partners, like, you know, like you'll get in trouble. But I, I don't see it being possible today to be competitive without having all those people focusing on the, all those separate lanes the front of us, the back of us, the finance, all that. How did you guys bounce it? How did you guys have a, a healthy ecosystem? where everybody knew their responsibilities and you didn't cut
1: each other's heads off? Or were there times where you did cut each other's heads off? Yeah, I mean, we all, all, I think all the partners uh, cared about each other a lot and had a, a common goal that everyone worked hard towards. But there was for sure uh, challenges. And at the end of the day, in the odd duck business, Bryce had last word. And so that was kind of uh, helpful to settle a dispute that uh, you know, if there was a disagreement, there was a way to resolve it. Um, but ultimately, you know, I, I, when I really got the passion for creating a restaurant that was focused on masa made from corn grown in Texas and Mexican cooking you know, with local ingredients, I wanted to do that with all the same partners. And it just wasn't in the cards. It just mm. When did you, know, you have that my, vision
0: to do masa? When did that come into the, the
1: picture? Uh, probably I started really thinking about it about a year after we opened Odd Duck. I mean, okay. we always had a dish on the menu and I just kind of started getting... obsessed with making masa, you know, all the most uh, things that you think of as the foundation, different cuisines are always made up of just a few ingredients, right? Like pasta is flour and eggs. Bread is flour, salt and water. Sushi is fish and rice and masa, which is what tortillas are made from and a lot of other things. And Mexican food is just corn, calcium oxide and water. And I love to make pasta and kind of someone asked me, like, have you ever had a great corn tortilla? And I was like, shit, I don't know. Like, where, where would you go find that? And that journey kind of led me to a bunch of restaurants in Austin to see who was making their own masa and then to Mexico and reading a lot about it. And I just kind of really started getting obsessed with it and wanted to, to make that the foundation of a restaurant.
0: So I absolutely want to get into uh, the story of Sorte and how the masa was like kind of like the, the guiding uh, passion that like really that you uh, attracted yourself to. But back to um, I think we're talking about the, The the partnership, any advice on partnerships? I mean, that's what I want to get out of you, because I think a lot of people get into partnerships and they don't do it right. And that's I don't think there's anything wrong with partnerships. I think there's bad partners. I think that there's wrong ways of getting into partnerships. But obviously, you guys seem to figure something out. So what is it that was unique about what you guys figured out?
1: I don't know. We just all came together towards a common goal. I mean, it worked for a while. Common but in goal. The, yeah. Boom. Um, common goal for sure. And I think to your point about people say like partners is the wrong thing. You don't want to like... It's okay for something to... Ch- like. It, w- it was very hard uh, when I wanted to create that restaurant with the same partners and it just wasn't in the cards to do it all together. And I had to decide if I wanted to step out and do Suerte on my own. Like that was... a. Uh, A hard thing that I really struggled with uh, in that transition. And it worked out okay. Even if it didn't, it still would have, right? Like life goes on and you got to just be willing to give it a shot. And I think a lesson in partnerships is that uh, perspective is really important. Like two people can experience the same thing. And from the way they look at it, it can be seen very differently amongst partners. And that's okay to be able to acknowledge that like, Someone can have a different view on something, and that's that 's just reality, right yeah, um, so when did you guys know it was time
0: to or you had the bandwidth to go and open a second brick and mortar
1: You mean f- odd duck from barley swine yeah, uh, I think you know we had a lot of success at barley swine that restaurant was it was a bit of a magical space, it was like forty seats, we were doing really ambitious food out of it. The food was really good. And we wanted to do something else that was a little bit bigger and a little bit less expensive. And uh, Mark uh, had opened a restaurant for another gentleman in uh, Colorado and wanted to move on. And uh, Bryce and I talked to Mark and we said, "Hey, like, do you want to come down and do this with us?" Uh, Jason was the manager at Barley Swine and and was like, "Hey, you know, we wanted to grow the whole thing for everybody." And and uh, I think we just, you know. When you find a lot of success, you get momentum. And we were small. Barley Song was a small restaurant, but we had a line out the door every day because it was so small. And I think we had a lot of momentum and spillover on, on, on growing that.
0: Yeah. I think uh, another variable too is you. when you do have that success, you do garner a lot of momentum. You do attract onto yourself a lot of talented passionate people mm-hmm. and those talented passionate people are going to go someplace else if you don't give them a place to go so you need to create opportunity within your group to keep those people happy to give them a sense like of the, of growth that they are progressing in their careers is that did that play into it all
1: yeah i mean yeah for sure you know like you said talented folks if if you don't have another opportunity for them they're going to have to go with someone else versus going with you and there's nothing wrong with that a lot of there's great restaurateurs that only have one place and they're happy with one place and they accept that not everyone that works there is going to work there forever. But, uh, I do share the sentiment as well that, you know, um, you know, like they say, like, I don't know the quip, uh, culture grows or dies. Yeah. And like you can grow by opening more businesses or grow by just continuing to make the one you have better, but it definitely has to move forward. It can't just stay where it is.
0: Yeah. I hear you, man.
1: So, uh um, one thing I want to get into
0: before we start talking more about common day or current day where uh, how you open Sorte and the, the angle you... We've got to work in. on your
1: Mexican accent, sorte. Uh, suerte. I'm from New Hampshire. Give me one, suerte. Suerte. Yeah, there suerte. You go. Like, I'm, I'm getting better. <laughs> I'm
0: getting better. Uh, <laughs> thanks for calling me out. I appreciate that. Uh, so uh, how did you grow um, from 2010 to 2017, breaking off and doing your own thing? That's a lot of time to grow as a professional. Uh, how are you different from going into Barless Wine to exiting Odd duck?
1: I just had a lot more experience, like there 's no substitute for that time, mm. like you get you, the more situations you deal with, the more comfortable you are dealing with whatever comes up, whether it 's managing employees and dealing with uh, you know I think the the people you learn the most from uh, managing are the ones that challenge you the most, and you kind of have to have those challenging people and challenging experiences to figure out what works for you as a leader, so at that point, you know I had managed uh Uh, a bunch of human beings. And I learned a lot about myself and a lot about what was effective Um, with the partners and being a part of opening restaurants as, as a partner, you know, you get a window into the whole operation. Like we review the financials together. We review the sales, the check average, you know, what dishes are selling, what's not selling and being a part of all those conversations um, really, I don't know just gave advantage into the uh, a whole operation. Yeah, right. Exactly. To your point, if you want to open a restaurant and you work within a bigger company and only see the bit of your job that you have access to, it's really hard to get... I don't know, to get the perspective uh, when you're doing it small and you get to see a bit of everything, right? Mm. So you said you learned a lot about managing people. Uh, I think that's a... Anyone that wants to open their own business, I would say, great advice would be like, how comfortable are you managing? Like, what kind of experience do you have uh, being a sous chef or a chef de cuisine? If you're a kitchen person or a manager, general manager, right? Like, when everything is new in terms of a concept, and it's the money on the line that people trusted in you for the first time, you don't want to add on top of that. You know, not being comfortable as as uh, on the on the managing people side of it. So, what did you learn about managing people? What were the, the big? You said people
0: were challenging you. Uh, that that played into it. Like, get into the, the specifics about what you learned about managing people.
1: Well I think in every business, especially in the restaurant business, the the human beings are the most important part of it. The ones that cook, the ones that wash the dishes, the people that serve the food. Like, that is for sure the most important part. I think, and and the one kind of common thread between any successful and unsuccessful business is like the people you know whether they're happy and skilled and excited to be at work and trying hard and care about the place all those things so you know the
0: value of your people but what did you learn about managing them like what give me a nugget a lesson that we can take from your evolution and apply it to our own lives
1: I mean I think the most important thing you look for when you hire is attitude you know people working cohesively with the team um and then i think if if you think things are going in the wrong direction or you have uh you know an issue with people working together or someone's performance on the job it's it can be uncomfortable to address it earlier rather than later, but I usually think that it's it's better to have an honest, frank conversation and try to reset you know the behavior they're looking for um rather than letting it grow because there's a big cost to that the cost is that it Starts to negatively affect people around around the the employer, whoever is having whether it's an employer or a manager, like whoever has that challenge. You know, if they're affecting people around them negatively, not dealing with that uh, has a big cost.
0: So don't wait to have the on, the honest conversation. And when you see something that needs to be addressed, address it. Address it. How do you, how do you address it in a way that's non threatening? That they know that you're not there to uh, attack them, but to have an open, honest conversation for the good of
1: everybody. I think being calm in how you deliver the message um, and maybe um, n- choosing to deliver tough feedback with also uh, something else in the conversation, too, like thanking them for their hard work and then delivering the honest message that may be difficult to hear, but on some level, acknowledging something positive, you know, so that someone doesn't just walk away only feeling bad about themselves.
0: Nice. So lead with a compliment, lead with the acknowledgement that I do value you, that you do have, you know, contributions, yeah. contributions to this group. Yeah. And then follow up with this is how you can make it even better. You know, like this is how we can take where you are, which is already awesome, and we already yeah. appreciate you, but this is where we can make you And if even it's an better.
1: important conversation, write it down. Write mm-hmm. it down how you want it to come out so that you don't get stuck in the moment and have it come out not the way you want it to come out. Because yeah. sometimes it can be delicate if you're telling someone, like, I don't know, when. If you're like managing a manager, right? If it's your restaurant, you're managing managers that are managing the, and in addition to managing the staff. Uh, And if the message to a manager is like, I don't know, you need to be a bit more assertive with uh, the server staff to make sure that they're staying focused, to make sure that you articulate that in the way that the way that you want them to hear it. Sometimes it's really helpful to write it down ahead of the time. Yeah,
0: And I think to compound off of what you led with, with being calm and and being mindful of the energy that you're bringing to that conversation. If this is something, if you're reacting to something that just happened and you're still hot and heated about what just happened, wait a day. Yeah. And and, and to make sure
1: people know that your goal is to make the restaurant better, not to attack them. Exactly. You're doing this to try to improve what we're doing as a team. Um, And... And that you want to see them be successful
0: i guess you know the 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 point that's i want to make sure is clear is when you are patient or you are relaxed you you might go into that conversation with good intentions but if you're heated and your body language is saying something completely different and you're irritated they're going to pick up on that they're they're not going to listen to the words you're saying they're going to listen to what you're displaying right so be mindful of that that energy that you're bringing to the conversation because it will Completely swamp the words that are coming out of your mouth. And that's true. So, um, okay, it's time to talk. I'm afraid to say it now, dude. You got me all. Suerte, suerte. <laughs> they do well that time. Yeah, you nailed it. <laughs> Spanish so, accent. Suerte. 2014. <laughs> you start getting this passion for masa, and uh, that was kind of like it seems like the driving force that led you to pursue opening your own place. So, take us through from vision to actually pulling it off. Um, you learned a lot of new things now. So, get into like what how you went into this this operation more seasoned and better off
1: yeah I mean, I think the first step was just getting passionate and obsessed with uh, masa. you know if you want to learn how to uh, bake bread, there's a lot of great uh, resources and books about the science behind baking bread and how if you use a flour with a higher protein content, your bread will be this way. If you bake it with steam in the oven, your bread will be this way with masa, there's not nearly as many resources that tell you about the critical control points of what actually makes a difference in the end product like. And I really was obsessed with learning those things. And so when we were at Odd Duck, we usually started. We had one dish on the menu, making masa. And Mark, like we alluded to, as being a total MacGyver, like we bought a fifty-dollar hand crank molino or corn grinder nice. and started nixtamalizing and grinding our own corn to make masa for one dish on the menu. And then we were selling a bunch of it. So Mark figured out how to put a motor on this hand crank molino, and so we <laughs> made a motorized one, and we started doing. Uh, more masa. And then we got some corn from a company called Macienda and played around with that corn and got corn from our one of the farmers that we now buy from called Richardson Farms, who was growing corn and tried the different varieties that were, they were doing. So then we traveled to Mexico and, you know, walked into some tortilleras and, you know, you'd be surprised how much people will share with you if you're interested in like what they're up to, right? Uh, so talking to people that were cooking on the street or their tortilleras yeah. in Mexico and being like, why do you do it this way, and i don't know just being endlessly curious about it uh, really learned about how to make really good masa
0: yeah, so some things I want to pull from the way you approach this uh, you know go again, go to the best, go to the best, surround yourself with the best, and you'll be if you take an interest in other people and you admire what they're doing that approach is so that that approach of flattery of just straight up appreciation for what they're doing will usually be enough to get you in the door because they, they, they want it. They're proud of it. You know, they want to show it off. They want to talk about it. It's their passion too. And they will teach you. Uh, and then the, I think the other really, really impressive thing, um, from the approach you took is having that unique selling proposition. Right. Uh, and, and also the story. So, you're going to all these places, traveling all over the world to learn the the most about masa, to, to recreate the best masa, right? That's part of your brand. That's part of your story. That's going to be part of what sells your vision in the future. When you're, you know, you want that story, you want that that dialogue to show like this is what's this. We want to share our love for masa with you. That's what this is all about, right? So I think by having that story and by actually doing things, you can say this is what we did to, to, to bring you the best. Uh, and then having that unique selling proposition, the one thing that you do better than everybody else. Like you're Mexican food, right? How many Mexican food restaurants are there in Austin? More than one. Exactly. How many of them focus on having the best masa, having that unique selling proposition? Not that many. So that's the thing, right? So you you can't, if you're going to do something, be the best at it and find out what it is you want to be the best at it and have that be your unique selling proposition, the thing that separates you. Yeah, it
1: tastes better. I mean, it's a lot more work to do it the way we do it, but at the end, you know, to see how much people enjoy uh, a tortilla, a corn tortilla that's uh, warm from being cooked the first time from heirloom corn that's made with care, it's like people eat that and they're like, wow, this is so good. Yeah. Why? Yeah, right? Right? That's the biggest. Uh, I don't know. That's, that's I mean, the one reason why a lot of people want to come eat this. Did, fuerte, you know? did
0: I swing and miss with everything I said, or do you agree? Or is that maybe me? what like finding?
1: No, I think that's, that's true, but it's, I don't know for us, it's, it's geared towards making it taste better. It's mm-hmm. not only to, um, uh, have a story but i think the story is a byproduct of like wanting it to actually taste the best cuz like restaurants compete on taste
0: i think it's authenticity man because yeah. the, what you're trying to do is is become the best but with becoming the best at something comes a story because you don't just become the best yeah you got to work really hard at for it. it and that is authenticity that is something that makes you resonate with people cuz they know that you put the work in uh you can't just say we're the best because <laughs> we we gave ourselves this label other people give you that label by doing the work uh so
1: you broke out on your own. You don't. Do you have partners in this business? I have a few investors, um, and uh, Fermín, the chef, uh, is a partner. And uh, and but yeah, I mean, I, I have the 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 last word. And at the end of the day, if, if it all goes to shit, I got to pay the bank. So, so what's
0: the transition <laughs> been like uh, from going to having a partners where uh, where Bryce was the guy that was calling, like he was steering the ship. Now you're steering the ship. What was that transition like to, to step into that seat?
1: Uh, scary. Yeah, you know? how so well I just put a lot of pressure on myself because I really I uh, wanted to do something good and wanted it to work. I got some great advice from uh, one of my investors who's also a good friend and an attorney, He's my the attorney for the restaurant. And before we opened, you know, I was I came to him and I was like, you know, Jerry, like what if this doesn't work and all these people invested money in it and what if it doesn't work and I can't pay them back? And his response was, Listen, Everybody that invests in the project knows it's a restaurant and they know that there's things that you can't control. The weather, construction, the economy. So he's like, if it doesn't work, remind yourself that it wasn't all your fault because you can't control everything. You don't control the world. And if it does work, remind yourself that it wasn't all you, that you were fucking lucky. (laughs) And uh, I don't know. That's good advice. You You can't be so scared that you're paralyzed to act or give you your best shot but a little bit of fear is not the worst thing either cuz it's very motivating you know
0: you know i think that fear is very uh it's a very noble fear too because if you don't give a fuck about the people that are investing in you yeah. like what the hell does that I say like about f- you
1: you know the story of of uh raising the money to buy this property was a good um like I almost forced myself to do it because I knew if i didn 't do it because I was scared that I would regret that forever, mm. so I was like there 's no backing out of this. This is what you 've said you wanted since you were a kid, and now you have the opportunity you 're not going to do it because you 're afraid yeah like you never who knows if you ever get that chance back so, so get that Get into the detail of collecting the money if you don 't mind because I feel like that 's a big challenge uh, a little bit going. yeah so uh, the guy who was uh, my main investor in the project uh, was an early customer of the other restaurants I was a part of, and we just became very good friends. And he purchased a property, another property in East Austin, and uh, to, to put a restaurant on that property, we had to get a conditional use permit from the neighborhood for that use of a restaurant. And the neighborhood basically said like, hey, we're not gonna support this conditional use. And so you, doing it without the neighborhood's approval is I don't know, just kind of a messy public process and kinda of went back to the drawing board and was like, Man, damn, I don't know if it's gonna work yeah. in that location. You
0: don't want to start on day one too it's as ch- being it's tough. the enemy yeah, of the yeah, community super that you're tough, moving right? into.
1: And so I went to this space uh, where Suerte is now, and it used to be a restaurant called Dario's It had closed down a couple of years back. And there were some artists that were doing an art show for East Austin Studio Tours. And I walked in, I had kind of written it off. It was on the market for a long time for sale or for lease. And I was like, it's too big, it's in too bad condition, it's going to cost too much money. Like, I like the location, but I just can't see it. I went in for this art show and started looking around. I was like, man, this place has good soul. Like, it feels good in here. I love the location. And maybe it could be something cool. So I called the broker that helped us with uh, the odd duck lease. He was like, you know, I want to make an offer to buy the property.
0: Before you, you get there, I think yeah. it's worth talking about the location. And then I'm going to make a note that um, you called the broker. That's where you left off. So talk about this location.
1: Um, oh, I just always love East Austin. East 6th Street is, like the, is the main kind of commercial pedestrian-friendly bar and restaurant hospitality street in East Austin.
0: Yeah. And th- I mean... From what i 've gathered, a lot of people will try to go into the center of the town uh to open a restaurant, but so many times the rent is so high you're you 're making it so difficult to be successful because of the the challenges that you 'd have to be so so successful you have so much money coming in to support an area like that you go slightly outside of the center of town and you can get better rates. Um, was the rate here better where like, the, the area is kind of not necessary?
1: You know, I, mean, I think it's, it's, it's a bit hard to be too general when you're looking for real estate for restaurants. Cause like it's called real estate cause it's real property and there's every, there's only one of one. Every yeah. one is different. Mm-hmm. So it's like, you got to evaluate the whole thing that you're seeing. So this was a real option versus like the hypotheticals. Like, there's other real options, and I really like this real option, right? Yeah. I like this location, the, the all the, that.
0: The, I agree with you. The The energy, the bones in this place,
1: there's a good vibe here. But also, you've got construction going up right across the street. That wasn't started when when, when we first started doing this. That was... But what is it going to be? That's a, an office. So you're going to have an in a,
0: a hotel. Yeah.
1: And so you have all this... Like, and I think that's a little bit of that, like, did I maybe <laughs> make the right move with the location at the time? Yeah, but... are you you, some of that's luck too right i didn't know all that these are good things yeah for sure so it was so you didn't know that so i
0: I like that you're being open i liked the
1: location yeah i did like it i liked it enough to like pursue it but to to jerry's point like some of that's a bit of luck too like i didn't i didn't know that that office was going in or cause it to happen but is it a good thing for for us and and the future of business around here sure
0: yeah. Um, and you also have some other really great businesses surrounding you. All I right. feel like that being a part of other great businesses or being
1: neighbors with other generally, great Generally, the busiest restaurants are around other busy restaurants. Yeah. So generally.
0: we got via 313 to your For sure. to your uh, yep. east. And uh, there were a past guest on the show. They were doing awesome stuff. I don't know what your relationship is like with them. Yeah, friendly. Awesome. friends. And, yeah, they're friends. I mean, any other variables about the
1: location we should know about before... I don't know. I mean East I thought East Sixth Street was like gonna be the main commercial street of East Austin. Yeah. I think that's East Austin's on be, the, right? the
0: come up right now too. And I think I oh, guess yeah, it's the, been been that way for a bit. Yeah, so I think that's the other variable is don't go to where it's hot, go to where it's going to be hot or where you think it's going to be hot and be on that leading edge. Ride you know, be ahead of the wave.
1: Go to where you like to be. Like this is where I was hanging out. This is what you that's know it's the part of town that I like the most. So it's like it's where you have roots. Yeah. I dig it.
0: Um so I cut you short. You were about to call the broker. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: Yeah, so I called the broker and said, hey, I want to make an offer to try to buy the property. And uh, she called the selling broker. They said, okay, if you're serious, you have to give us the offer. This is on a Thursday. You have to give us the offer tomorrow because it's been on the market for six months. We have three other offers and we're going to decide on Monday. So she wrote it up for a couple thousand bucks over the asking price. I said I'd close in cash, which is funny because I only had the earnest money to sign the contract. And the seller picked my offer. He owned a couple other properties in the area, was familiar with the other restaurants that I was a part of starting and thought that I would potentially do something good that would be good for the whole yeah. area, right?
0: Yeah. Remember when we said something about assets? Do you have more than just the monetary assets that you carry with your name? Yeah. Be mindful of those assets that you bring to the table. They will help you later
1: on in life. You say it's luck. I say that's bullshit. I say <laughs> that
0: people knew what they were investing when they gave
1: you this opportunity. So once we signed the contract, like I said, I only had the earnest money and had... Um, forty five days feasibility and forty five days to close and in that time uh you know uh, raised the money from investors and worked with uh, a local bank to to figure the deal out and It was very stressful. I got physically sick because I was uh so stressed about you know not just losing all the money that I put down just to sign the contract you know because um, I'm guessing the space was more than one hundred and sixty thousand dollars it was <laughs> it was i mean you got to put pencil to paper and make sure that it is reasonable. Yeah. You know, when you do your financial, I always think with financial projections for restaurants, the more simple you can make it, the better, right? Like how many people do you think you can serve a day? How much will each of those people spend? What does that mean you'll do in revenue a year? Look at that number at the end and then say like, is that reasonable? Anything much more detailed than that is like, you're just predicting the future. And the only thing certain is that you're going to be wrong. <laughs> so you yeah. just want to make sure you look at your guess and be like, is this more or less reasonable if i'm successful at this level will that allow me to pay rent or pay the mortgage or whatever it is and obviously you hope you beat your projections but you want to look at something and say like i think this is reasonable and if we do this amount of sales or whatever then the whole thing will work i can pay the investors back i can pay rent in a reasonable amount of time and then you hope you beat that right you hope you're on the on the super successful side of it but don't don't make it so high that Don't like... do paralyze Yeah, yourself. right. To say like, in order for this thing to be a good investment, I have to do $10 million a year. There's almost no restaurants that do that much. Mm. So it's like, you know, make it reasonable. Gotcha. Look at something that's reasonable and then hope to beat it. Great advice. So any other
0: nuggets that we can pull from your story? Any other key lessons you pulled from making this... Vision of yours, suerte. I'm still afraid to say it. Suerte, suerte, suerte. Anything we can, pull. like I have the best uh, Spanish accent in the world. I'm working on mine too. So, what else can we learn from you before we take a break to to go to our spieler
1: round? Um, I don't know. You gotta don't be afraid to tr- to go for it. You know, I can't think of that many people who have done something or created a business that have never like you got to try to do it right. It doesn't just happen without going for it and yeah usually if you put your heart and soul into it like something good will come out of it even if even if the business doesn't work or doesn't work exactly like you think like you're gonna come out on the other side of that with 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 a with something good I think mm-hmm. most of the time
0: what do you think your best skill is as a restaurant tour the, the area <laughs> you're strongest as a
1: restaurant tour um I think I have a decent sense for what people like, like putting my mind in the perspective of a customer. And I think the experience that I have in the kitchen for a long time, just really, I can try to put myself in the shoes of all the people that are working in the restaurant and try to think about what makes it... The word that
0: you're describing uh, is empathy. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) You're empathetic. You can understand and feel other people's needs and desires and wants. And feelings.
1: I think I can try to do that pretty decently. So I mean, is, I don't think I'm Superman, but I think I work hard at that.
0: So what is it about you that enables you to do that well? Like, is it a, con- a conversation you have in yourself? Is it just being mindful of others? Like, what what does that look like?
1: I think trying to listen to um, what people are giving you for feedback, even if it's not the easiest thing to hear, you got to have an open mind. You got to look. You got to look at everything coming your way and think like, what can I take from this feedback that I'm hearing to make the place better. Mm. And I think the more defensive you are and close yourself off to listening to feedback, whether it's an employee telling you something that they like or don't like about their job or a dish or the menu or a customer saying something that you may not agree with, you have to look at all those opportunities and think like, what can I get out of this to make the restaurant better?
0: I love it. This has been a great conversation, Sam. We're going to take a quick break to thank our sponsors and we'll be right back. you love the most about Revel Systems what would it be? It's definitely their vast reporting abilities on the back end. We utilize a lot of the reports such as speed of service, taxes, sales reports, labor reports. It's all there to help you run your business. Beautiful. Guys, and if you're listening to this, Revel works with businesses that are looking to implement cutting-edge technology that helps increase revenue, improve efficiencies, and enhance experience of their employees and their customers. To learn more, head over to revelsystems.com/unstoppable. hospitality online with bento box by signing up today at get slash unstoppable and save up to $1,500 on initial setup for your new restaurant website. We're back. And the first question I have for you is what is your it factor, a habit, a trait, a characteristic you believe most contributes to your success? Uh, following your passion. What is your biggest weakness?
1: I can be annoying. <laughs> My <laughs> obsessive... The way I get obsessed with things, uh, I drive myself crazy and sometimes the people around me. I
0: think it's funny because your, your weaknesses can also be your biggest strengths. And being that squeaky wheel, being that person, your annoyingness also is what got you to where you are because you're constantly learning. You're constantly asking questions. Uh, what is one question you ask or thing you look for when you're building your team?
1: Uh, will this person hang in there when it gets tough?
0: Share one code of conduct or behavior you teach your team. This is a core value, a way to be, a way to act. Be
1: nice to people. Yes. Yeah.
0: So and what is your biggest challenge today?
1: Trying to keep everybody happy that works here. How are you combating that challenge? Identifying and proactively investigating the... the we just talk about it all the time. Listen. Who's going through what? Who yeah. needs what?
0: Yeah. Uh, what is one uncommon standard of service you teach your team? So this is something that's common within your four walls, but not common within the industry.
1: Standard of service that we teach people.
0: A way to go. We teach them the about
1: young. the a way to go about the meal. I mean, we encourage people to share, but that's not super unique anymore. I think a lot of restaurants do that. Um,
0: you educate your team on the, the work that goes say, into the media. because,
1: yes, I mean, we try to make the services like if you can find any way to say yes to whatever someone wants, it'll make them happy. Uh, try to make it. a Yes. Awesome. Uh, what is one book that's a must read to make us a better person or restaurant owner? Setting the Table from Danny Meyer for what, sure is a great book.
0: What's your biggest lesson from that book?
1: Uh, the moving the water glass to the center of the table as a management philosophy. Constant gentle pressure.
0: Right. Yes. Uh, what is one thing you feel restaurateurs don't do well enough or often enough? Try to take a day off. It's not easy, <laughs> but it's important. It is important. And what is one technology you've adopted within your four walls that has had a huge impact on operations, efficiencies, communication, profitability? I missed the
1: very beginning part of that. What is the uh, a technology, a tool, uh, or resource? Um, I think the the hot schedules message board as a way of communicating with the management is is valuable to kind of keep a pulse on like what is happening every day and to communicate amongst each other what's going on. Awesome. And uh,
0: this is the last question. It's a doozy, so get ready for it. <laughs> if you got the news, you'd be leaving this world tomorrow. All the memories of you, your work, and your restaurants would be lost with your departure, with the exception of three pieces of wisdom. Three things you know to be true about your success that you can leave behind for the good of humanity and for your legacy. What would those three things be?
1: I think the quality of your meal starts with the ingredients that you're using to cook. So one, always placing the farmer as a really important part of what we're doing. I dig it. Um, That I think... You know, in order to make great food, you got to pursue uh, the food that kind of that fulfills you first. So I think you know most great restaurants or striving to be a great restaurant. You know, you got to you cook love. food you love. You yeah, cook you- something that you really love, and and that other people will enjoy if you put all your passion into it. I love it. That's two. What's the third one? Um, just being nice to people. I mean, that simple simple lesson. Whether it's your coworkers or customers or someone who's being difficult. Just try to slow down and be nice to people. I could work on that. I'm working on that all the time, but it's important.
0: Well, you've been nice to me, and I appreciate it. Just to summarize those, uh, good good food starts with good ingredients. Uh, Do what you love. And that last one was just be nice. Uh, I've really enjoyed this conversation, Sam. Thank you so much for taking the time uh, to, to share your story, to share your knowledge, to share your values. Uh, we wrap up every conversation by calling somebody out. So who's one independent restaurant operator? Somebody that you respect and admire and believe would make a great guest on the show like you made for us today.
1: Uh, I think Mark Bewley from Sour Duck and Steve, for sure, in Aspen.
0: Mark and Steve, look out. I'm coming after you. <laughs> I'd love to get you on the show and let the folks know how can we connect with you. If we want to just follow your work, uh, maybe join your team or we have a question about what you share with us. What's the best way
1: to connect? I think uh, SuerteATX on Instagram uh, or send us an email at Ola at com.
0: This is episode 584. Head over to restaurantunstoppable.com slash 584. I will have a summary of today's discussion, uh, linked to any tools, books, or services recommended, and how to connect with Sam over there. Sam, again, thank you so much, my man. There is no questioning. You are unstoppable.
1: <laughs> thank you, Eric.
0: There you go. Another episode wrapped up here at Restaurant Unstoppable. Sam Hellman, Mass, thank you so much for coming on the show, sharing your story, sharing your knowledge. You were a great guest. I think the big takeaway for me in today's conversation was the idea of just getting out there in asking questions and being curious and being a student first. When you take this approach of being a student and you you take the initiative and you ask questions and you show your curiosity, you show your hunger to learn, it's amazing what people will do to get behind you, to support you in your journey of education and your career. Uh, And that's what he did when he went out to Colorado. He he went and he found a a chef who was interested in investing their time and knowledge in him. Uh, Chef... Steve, um, his last name is escaping me, Rizoski, Rizzo- Redzowski, I'm sure I'm destroying that, <laughs> but you guys know who I'm talking about, and uh, w- when you do take an interest in other people's knowledge, uh, they'll take an interest in you, uh, and I think that's another lesson that we learned today is that when you're going out to go open your own restaurant, you want to be the best at one thing, and for Sam, that was masa, understanding and being the best at Mexican masa, uh, this this bread, this uh, kind of like a tortilla from my, what I understand and uh, he went and he sought out the best masa makers in the world. And he went to them and he he took an interest in them. And then they, they took an interest in him. And it's amazing what people will share with you if you take an interest in them. So get out there. And if you're looking for a mentor, just go take an interest in them and see what happens. Uh, awesome stuff today. Like always, please do reach out to me, Eric, at Restaurant Unstoppable. I'm on Instagram and Twitter, at Eric Cacciatore, Facebook, slash Restaurant Unstoppable. Keep those five-star reviews on iTunes and Stitcher Radio coming. Please sign up for my email list. Join the conversation. Be a part of this movement. Uh, You can stay plugged into where I'm at, uh, what's on my mind, what I want to create. And you can also influence what I create. So if you want to have a hand in forming Uh, this resource. Again, join that email list. And the best way to support the mission of inspiring, empowering, and transforming the hospitality and food and beverage industry as we know it is by sharing this resource. Put this sucker in front of anybody and everyone you know who's aspiring to be great. All right. That's it for today. Thanks so much for sticking around this long. Until next time, peace
1: out.